Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey everybody, it is episode 148. Today is December 5th, 2019, and you're listening to or maybe even watching Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I am joined today by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf over there. Oh yes, how's everybody doing? Hey, everybody's good. I'm speaking for everybody here, but everybody's good. I uh, see that. <laughs> I'm speaking for everyone. Hey, uh, Blake, I want to apologize to you. Uh, actually, no. I don't, I don't want to apologize to you. I want to apologize to our listeners. I'm not going to say sorry to you. I was about to say, yeah. I uh, was so, fine. Yeah, you were fine. So I had selected the right microphone source last week for you. You got to hear the premium experience. But our poor listeners, um, they actually, they got, you know, some of the worst audio that we have done uh, so far. So, uh, sorry I, about that. I don't know. So far. So, uh, sorry I, about that. I don't know everybody. if it's the worst or not, right? But it's, it was bad enough. It was up there. It was up there. Um, so, anyway, uh, hopefully this week it'll be a lot better. We made sure to pick the right ones. Um. Yeah, anyway, uh, we got some excellent news stories. We're tackling some questions from you guys as well. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about some of the self-driving cars and their predicting driving personalities, which is interesting. Uh, The U.S. military is warning of augmented human beings. And we're also going to be talking about the Defense Innovation Board recommending AI ethical guidelines. But first, we got some – you got some stuff for me, Blake? Oh, I got some stuff, man. So a, a couple, I guess it's when I did the solo podcast here on Human Factors Cast that I talked about and asked like from the community, like, what do you use to track your fitness? Because like I had, of course, broke my Fitbit and stuff like that. So now I feel like just an ultra nerd because I couldn't really make a decision between, you know, the Fitbit that I had before because of like functions that it had. And then this like whoop band that seems to really, really kind of target in and hone in on recovery scores and stuff like that that are super helpful for me, like kind of programming different workouts throughout the day and that kind of stuff. So I feel like an ultra goof walking around with like two fitness bands on at a time. Uh, but it's it's been kind of a fun experience to compare and contrast like how how you see what, what Fitbit's telling you versus like what Whoop has been telling me and then like comparing and seeing like how's my calorie burn look across the two of them or how's my sleep impacted across the two of them. And I think it's kind of like shown me where like one's a little stronger than the other. So it's been a kind of a fun experience going through both. And you use like uh, Samsung's platform, right? I do. I don't necessarily. Or is that just your like smartwatch? Much. I, you know, I I think it's it's okay. I think Samsung yeah. does a lot of things kind of well. Right. I do. I don't necessarily. Or is that just your like smartwatch? Much. I, you know, I I think it's it's okay. I think Samsung yeah. does a lot of things kind of well and some things really great. Um and I think this is falls into that kind of well thing where, you know, Fitbit that they're they're one stop shop that's fitness data. Um and uh I've never heard of that one. Who's who's behind that one? Uh that is the company that's actually behind it. So it's uh oh, okay. they have it's, a little bit more whoop. of like an yeah, that's the actual company itself. 
Um, and so there's a little bit more intensive in that, like they're kind of actually giving you user surveys based on like what they're collecting. So they'll ask me in the morning, like, how are you feeling based off of how you slept? Are you stressed? Do you, are you injured from working out? That kind of stuff. Um, so it's a little bit more engaging in terms of not just like collecting data and tell, giving you aggregate estimates of like how many steps you took or how many calories you burned or how well you slept. It's kind of trying to get a little more of the emotional component in there as well, which I think is an interesting take. Um, yeah. And they they do this thing where you're not it's it's kind of interesting. You you don't get the full kind of access to all the all like the bells and whistles of the application. It, until like after I think 30 days because they want to actually track you can optimize your sleep by getting a little bit more of it or trying to get to bed earlier so the the like kind of intense I guess data analysis they do per person which I'm sure is obviously done at scale too it's not like they're doing it for just one person at a time um, it's kind of an interesting take in that like you, as you kind of use the service and use the like um, app and whatnot and where the band, you get a little bit more information, a little more detailed information about you yourself um, as you go. And similar to like Fitbit and stuff like that, they still give you kind of tidbits about like how to get better sleep or like how, wh- how like eating in different patterns or fasting and stuff like that can kind of help your workouts or recovery and s- stuff like that. So it's kind of a, an interesting, um, I don't know, just a fun platform to kind of interact with and it's got like a social component to it as yeah. well uh, the one thing that that i that does bother me is it is all app based so you there's no interaction with what's on your wrist really it's just kind of like a band that's got a bit to it as yeah. well uh, the one thing that that i that does bother me is it is all app based so you there's no interaction with what's on your wrist really it's just kind of like a band that's got to be there um, but it doesn't really serve any kind of uh, direct functional purpose besides like recording data does it? Do you have like a web interface that you can interact with as well, or is it just through the app? It is just through the application. There's no interface on it at all. Like, a, mm. like there's only the tracking component that's basically attached to your wrist, and that's really it. That's interesting. I I do want to know about the second bullet point bullet point though that you got there. Uh, smart TV stuff. Oh man, this was a lot of fun. So the other day <laughs> for not. Cyber Monday, <laughs> I, I decided to like. Oh, it's so fun because it drives me nuts. Um, but I decided to get like a, a smart TV or a bigger TV because um, we had been uh, using my little like 32 inch that I had had since I was in grad school. Uh, but what I found was really interesting is you get this giant box. They actually have instructions that are built on, built into the box of you take specific styrofoam pieces off and it creates an actual stand that you can so that you could if you're by yourself take the TV out safely and put the legs on it. So it basically reuses the stuffing that it has in it as like kind of a stand for people to use. Um, so I thought that was just like a really cool innovation that I hadn't seen before because I'd never owned an LG TV. I really haven't had a big TV before. I had to take it out of the box by myself. So it was, it was interesting to kind of open it up and realize that, oh, it's, it's meant to kind of get you up and running, even if you're like by yourself trying to put this thing together. Um, but one thing that I had, because I've been using like a, an old school remote from a TV that I think I bought in like 2007, I hadn't really experienced some of the newer features on smart TVs. And I guess one that has gotten popular, at least with LG TVs, is for the remote to act like a mouse so on smart TVs. And I guess one that has gotten popular, at least with LG TVs, is for the remote to act like a mouse. 
So you actually have like a cursor that will appear on the screen and you can like move the mouse around and it'll actually like act like it's as if it's a cursor and you're like sitting in your laptop. And I find it to be just the worst interaction that I've ever had to use because it's, it's so, it has to be, I guess, a little bit too accurate and it's so inaccurate in terms of how it moves and how your like wrist and hand moves the entire remote that it is, it's probably one of the most <laughs> annoying features I think I've ever used. Uh, but I mean, have you, did, did any of your like TVs do that? Or like, have you ever had to do that? Like in a car that tr- where they try and like simulate something like a mouse in a car, but it doesn't quite work as well. No, I no, not really. I think so. I've stayed away from like the smart TVs and like that kind of thing. I just think, uh, I don't functionality. I'll put in my Chromecast or my, um, fire tv or whatever it is that you know i need to to watch my media or anything like that so i don't i stay away from the smart tvs i just kind of do the dumb tvs and plug in my hdmi cables as necessary um but that's interesting that you bring up vehicles because i i never thought of like vehicles to have that kind of thing but then again you do have a fancy schmancy car now so like who knows no, i actually, actually saw that have... that no, that, thank goodness like Subaru doesn't have that. I actually saw that in a friend's rental car one time because she she like had to take her car into the shop and so we went to the dealership together, took it in, and then we were driving back to work or wherever and she, and all of a sudden I looked down and this was like in a like a 250 IS Lexus or something and they had basically made the center nav console that was like uh, if you've ever seen these little like wheels that they'll have in the middle of the console, they turned everything, the way that you interacted with it into a mouse. That's the same as this TV where you're basically having to use your wrist and do- make movements to select things on the screen. It was the strangest and probably worst interaction to have in a car. Cause now you're not only, you know, focusing your attention away from whatever you're supposed to be doing driving. Now you're like trying to maneuver this mouse at the same time or this input device at the same time and move a mouse around a screen and hit these small targets so you can make selections like for changing the radio station and stuff like that. Um, so that, that was, and that had to be like over shoot like four years ago. Yeah. That sounds a uh, pretty, pretty awful to deal with, honestly. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I do want to get What's in... going on in your world, man. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess I can kind of do my like weekly stadia update. Um, and I was talking to you briefly about this beforehand, uh, but a couple problems where, like, the, the controller that connects via Wi-Fi will actually disconnect uh, at random points, and then it will reconnect. And so I'll get a couple missing inputs, which is a little frustrating. Um, and, you know, I just tried this a couple minutes ago as I was streaming with you, and, and the more devices that you have streaming at home, the harder it becomes for... Um, a steady stream, right? Like there were, there was some hitching. I think you saw it. There was some hitching on the, uh, on the display. So it's not a smooth performance issue. There's some performance issues, but overall pretty happy with it. Um, just the convenience of being able to like, uh, buy a game or claim a game. And then, you know, seconds later be up and running with that game. Um, it's, it's pretty, pretty great. Yeah, I mean the 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 bit that you showed me last time that we were like kind of together in a room, it was pretty sick. To- it it's pretty pretty great. Yeah, I mean the 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 bit that you showed me 
last time that we were like kind of together in a room, it was pretty sick to be able to think that like no, now there's no like download time or really having to worry about like how long it's going to take me to download the new update. It's basically you just hop in, select the game you want to play, and then you have to just go through whatever menu stuff they have in in game. But like there's none of this. Like I can imagine, especially the fun part will be when like Borderlands Three comes out or something that you and I both want to like buy from them. Like how that process goes, right? So when we perk from like immediately purchasing a new game and then getting in and like comparing that to the time it would take for you, even if you like pre-ordered something and you had to download it the night before, uh, the the time difference in savings is pretty incredible. So I mean that that should be fun to go through with you in the next couple of months. Yeah, the convenience aspect of it, too. I mean, you don't have to, like, convenience itself is worth it. <laughs> and you can just, like, stream it. And sure, over the long run, you are spending more uh, uh, download on Wi-Fi. But, like, you know, uh, data caps in the future, at least as as far as I understand, are, like, a American problem. And so, you know, hopefully we'll see a future where there's no data caps and, and fast Internet speeds everywhere. And it's it's the future. I'm hopeful. Um I also did want to talk about one other thing. So we just recently got a, a an indoor camera for the the place um, because I'm a daddy now, and we, you know, <laughs> as weird as that is to say, you can call me daddy now, and it's not weird. Uh, <laughs> it might always be weird. I don't know. Um, I was about to so, say, I think it's still going to be weird. <laughs> uh, so we did get this camera, and uh, we were going to get. A camera that integrated with our ecosystem. <laughs> uh, so we did get this camera, and uh, we were going to get a camera that integrated with our ecosystem. And trying to get this thing to play on the Chromecast, uh, I actually didn't show you this because um, <laughs> I should have showed you this because uh, we're talking about it. But I, to get it playing on a Chromecast, I had to basically name some things uniquely to get it to play. Uh, and so if you have young children listening right now, I'm going to play us a little sample of that. Um, so you might want <laughs> oh, to either fast forward or <laughs> hang on. So here we go. Hang on. Here, here it is. Play butthole motherfucker on cock dick fuck. There you go. Solution. I tried every solution. I was like, camera one, camera, spy cam, like all these things. And every time I would ask the in-home assistant, it would say something like, okay, showing results from YouTube on your Chromecast. And I was like, no, that's not what I want. And so like, I eventually just... <laughs> so this was the only workaround? <laughs> the, well, it was the only one that I found. So I was, I was literally sitting there trying to figure out how I could make this thing work. And I was like, what are some unique strings that I could remember or just rant off very easily that's not going to – that's not that's not how it stayed. That's not how it stayed. Let me say, I, I eventually just dealt with it and uh, am resorting to casting on my devices as, like, a last resort. However, needless to say, I didn't get a device that integrated seamlessly with what I had, and it's a little frustrating. Um, the camera itself is fine. Uh, and the camera itself is fine. Uh, and there are alternatives and pluses and minuses to 
the camera that I got. <laughs> Main one being privacy, so we leave it off most of the time, which is fine because we're not using it for like monitoring. Sure. Um, we're using it for when we're not home. It's like a nanny cam. That's what we're using it for, uh, which is why I brought up the daddy thing. So, yeah, it, we're using it for um, a nanny cam. And so we're only going to be turning it on when we're not when we're not home. We are. Um, yeah, so it's off most of the time. But uh, the one that we went with has had some privacy issues in the past where videos of in-home stuff have shown up on the Internet somewhere. Um, so. Ooh, yeah. Because. They, OK, so so the reason why is because the service has uh, I'm being very careful not to mention any names here. Um, we were going. Uh, yeah. So the service has check your records for intruders and stuff like that. And so because your privacy is being handled by a third party person, uh, sometimes stuff can show up. So that's all I'll say on that matter. <laughs> gotcha. That sounds ridiculous. But anyway, I'm glad like it's it's useful for what you need it for. It's kind of wild that it was so hard to kind of get it integrated. But I'm glad you found some sort yeah. of solution. Yeah, and I will say um, that was a trade-off that we were willing to make because the price of this in-home camera was very inexpensive. Uh, it was yeah, man, I'm checking these out. These are like, yeah, they're like really reasonably priced. And if it, if it even like to some degree works well, that's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, especially for someone like you who wants to check in on your doggo all day, you know, you can like get one of these things and just check the app. Um and turn on the camera when you want to check it and turn it off when you don't want it running. Who wants to check in on your doggo all day? You know, you can, like, get one of these things and just check the app um, and turn on the camera when you want to check it and turn it off when you don't want it running, and it's fine. Yeah, so I, I really I like know. this. This I might just be grabbing some of these just to see, like, how it works because, I mean, that's so inexpensive for, like, what you especially because i was looking at like nest cams and stuff like that and i was like whoa i don't even know if i have this kind of money to be throwing around on cameras because i feel like i would need more than one just to be able to check out check up on him and especially if we we have people coming to the house and stuff like that uh that's pretty sweet yeah so uh yeah we were going to get one that was upwards of two hundred dollars on like black black friday cyber monday stuff um, but it came down to like 160 and uh, integrated neatly with our ecosystem. But this is this is fine. This this works for what we need. Um, yeah, and and it's, it's fine. This is the part of the show all about human factors news. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. This could be anything from what we got. We just talked about privacy and security. We got some uh, transportation in there, ethics. Psychology, you name it. As long as it pertains to the field of human factors, it is fair game for us to talk about. Blake, what do we got up first this week? All right. First, in the land of self-driving cars, in a recent study by the team of researchers at MIT, self-driving cars are being programmed to identify the social personalities of their drivers in an effort to predict their future actions and drive safer on the roads. So it's already made been made evident that autonomous vehicles lack some social awareness so drivers around a car are regarded as obstacles rather than human beings which is can hinder the automaton's ability to identify motivations and even intentions and potential signifiers of future actions because of this self-driving cars often cause bottlenecks at four-way stops or explaining why the majority of traffic accidents involve them getting rear-ended by impatient drivers 
So the research taps into social value orientation, a concept from social psychology that classifies a person as selfish, egotistic, uh, too altruistic, and cooperative or pro-social. So the system uses this classification to create real-time driving trajectories for other cars based on a small snippet of their motion. So for instance, cars that merge more often are deemed more as more competitive than other cars. And even outside of self-driving cars, this type of research could help drivers per- help human drivers predict the actions of other drivers around them. Man, I would love to be able to have something telling me in the car, like, okay, you've got these kind of drivers around you. Be prepared for the type of driving you might see. But this is really wild, Nick. I mean, basically using just kind of predictive patterns of how people drive to just use that as a so and combined with social cues to understand, like, okay, autonomous vehicle, X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and and you can imagine a future where even autonomous vehicles are are communicating with each other, um, unbeknownst to the driver, to where you know this this autonomous vehicle is saying, "Hey, my driver is very." Um, selfish on the road and so you might see him try to overtake you and if that's the case be prepared be you know queue up so that way you can break really quick um, what what kind of driver are you Blake are you someone that merges a lot or are you somebody that is uh, like like where do you fall, fall on this egoistic pro social gamut uh, I don't know I guess part of it would be cooperative but I'm I'm a super defensive driver like people tell me that all the time uh, like, I, cause I, I feel like I can be very untrusting with people in cars just cause I've seen like a, a lot of bad accidents. And like, I used to, used to be one of those people that used to like love to drive fast and stuff like that. Um, but er, like I used to, used to be one of those people that used to like love to drive fast and stuff like that. Um, but er, I, honestly, ever since I moved to California, I'm definitely way more defensive in how I drive and I try and like just get away from people as quickly as I can or like just stay out of like too much bottlenecking that happens on merging systems and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know what kind of driver would you kind of categorize yourself as? Uh, I have been told I drive like a grandpa, grandpa multiple times. Um, and so I drive slow, I drive deliberate, and I am more cooperative. I'm more likely to let folks in. However, I am a very selfish parker, <laughs> <laughs> if that makes oh, sense. Oh, I got um, it. And especially now that I have to take into account that on my uh, – passenger side in the rear that is where i both load and unload a baby carrier and so if somebody parks next to me uh next to me uh after i have given ample space on that side um if you park close to me i'm gonna ding you your car nasty notes oh no i'm gonna ding i'm just gonna flat out ding your car up look i gotta get my kid in <laughs> there's no other way i just have to aggressively open my door and leave marks that's all it comes down to. That's uh, hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's like a whole another game to have to think about, right? Like the fact that you can't really be worrying too much about other people because I mean you've got to do what you got to do to make sure the kid's safe in the car. Yeah, it's weird. People always say, you know, you you figure out that nothing else matters, and it's absolutely true. Nothing else matters. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I uh, yeah, it, it, it's crazy. Anyway, back to this story here. I think. I think this has a lot of value for autonomous vehicles and indicating um, to autonomous vehicles if it can identify what a driver is doing or how a driver will for autonomous vehicles and indicating um, to autonomous vehicles if it can identify 
what a driver is doing or how a driver will behave. You know, I think it's um, I, I, I think it it goes a long way. Right. See, that's super excellent to me as well, because like what you talked about, I think the important part is, is like, great, the car kind of understands you as a person on how you might drive and things like that. And it, maybe it's a little more like, quote unquote, socially aware, but the ability for it to understand your driving patterns and maybe some of your intrinsic motivations or how you intend to drive um, and then being able to communicate that across different autonomous vehicles. That's where the real benefit is, is just being able to like not only understand and kind of prepare and make sure the the automated features of your own car are ready to go based on how you drive but being able to like share that out to other systems to make sure that like okay of all these autonomous vehicles that may be on the road we have a better understanding of how people tend to drive Um, now with like getting frustrated with how a car is driving maybe not knowing it's autonomous or whatever it may be like we could end up seeing more accidents at the first like onset of like cars being rolled out as autonomous so if this can kind of communicate across autonomous vehicles like how people are driving then maybe we see less i'm not really sure yeah that's that's the hope right is that this would ultimately lead to uh drivers that um are safer all around even though you have these varying driver styles, you have safer drivers all around because the autonomous vehicles are understanding the intent of the non-autonomous vehicles and the drivers of the autonomous vehicles that then have to take over as humans in the loop. Um, I, I also think that this could do a, a, a um, some really good things for like passenger satisfaction, right? If you think about something like passenger satisfaction where if a loop um i i also think that this could do a a a um some really good things for like passenger satisfaction right if you think about something like passenger satisfaction where if an autonomous vehicle is driving in line with how you typically drive you're going to feel more comfortable right so if if my autonomous vehicle drives like a grandpa uh and lets people in and is polite then I think I would, you know, understand that it's trying to emulate my style. Whereas if it was weaving through traffic, um, then I would be a little bit more weary about, you know, like I, I would still feel safe to a degree because I don't think it would make those moves unless they were calculated. But I, I would still feel like uh, a, a little unsafe, <laughs> you know, if it was because I, I feel unsafe when other people are driving like that. And uh, especially if it's a computer that can't, I don't know. I, I, it's weird. It's weird, right? And so I think I witnessed them, you know, using automated mode for the first time because it was one of those things where, like, they're playing with stuff in the car, and then all of a sudden I see the driver just take his hands off the wheel, and he never puts them back on for, the for like, the rest of the 20 minutes or next to each other. So that was really unnerving to me because I was like, okay, this is somebody who's never used this before, and they're just going to try it out right now where we've got this wacky stop-and-go traffic. I just think it's a horrible idea. But it, it's funny because, like, it, in my mind, I think, autonomous vehicles are a great idea and this kind of stuff makes me more hopeful but sometimes seeing it in action freaks me out to no end yeah i i don't know it's a interesting future for sure 100 percent, man all right blake well what do we got up next here all right so up next the u.s military is talking about augmented human beings so the u.s military has an ambitious plan to turn its soldier into high-tech cyber warriors by making them stronger, enhancing senses, and wiring their brains to computers. 
The Pentagon brass thinks these cyborgs will make their way into the battlefield around 2050, and the Department of Defense just declassified a report from October that details its plans for the human-machine fusion, revealing its bizarre plan to bring to life military tech that's always been safely quarantined within the realm of science fiction. The report's executive summary identifies four key upgrades it hopes to develop over the next three decades. So two include enhancing soldiers' eyesight and hearing, and the military also wants to make soldiers stronger, of course, by equipping them with new types of wearables. But what the military seems to be really excited about is this fourth category, so being able to direct neural enhancement or, or employ neural enhancement directly to human brain waves for a two-way data transfer. So in other words, you're connecting a soldier's mind to computers so that the military leaders can instantaneously transfer new information, but also let new soldiers. That last line is so science fiction, it seems insane. But for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like if you're if you're actually able to pull this off, right, you're putting information in somebody's brain. I don't think it's out of the possi- realm of possibility that they could be controlling things with their own thoughts. I know, I know Kung Fu. And, uh, yeah, I know, right? It's the Matrix without like having to plug in too much. Yeah, it's... Uh, okay, so the warning here is um, is what, exactly? I, I'm, I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm really excited about these potentials. Gotcha. Uh, but, but yeah, what's, what's the warning? So the big, like, troubling part, this comes at the end of the article. So it goes like this so troubling however is the report's predicted aftermath of the introduction of this type of stuff so introduction of augmented human beings into the general population the dod active duty personnel and near peer competitors will accelerate in the years that following 2050 so as this becomes more popularized outside of qualities and inequalities in established legal security and ethical frameworks so i I don't know. I mean, even if you think about the premise of the Matrix, right, where it's it's a li- it's a little more science fiction, of course, like the computer has taken over the world and you're living in a simulation. But even there, I mean, there was this vast difference between a simulation. But even there, I mean, there was this vast difference between human beings, some that would plug back into the Matrix, right, or some that were like the chosen people. And so I, I even think this is to some degree what you see Elon Musk being a little bit worried about in terms of you have this imbalance in like different types of people. You almost create a new type of human by augmenting them like this, giving them access to more information more quickly. Um, so it it's an interesting thought and to to be – to be coming from, I guess, like the military minds that are really thinking about how can we augment humans, but then to be at least thinking a little bit forward and being like, well, this does have a large impact to human beings in general outside of the military context. Um, but, right. But what do you I mean, really think about this, Nick? I mean, the the tech seems awesome, but the impact could be could be pretty severe. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what what types of impacts, right? So, so we'll see those. With- really think about this, Nick. I mean, the the tech seems awesome, but the impact could be could be pretty severe. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what what types of impacts, right? So, so we'll see those with the haves versus the have-nots. Um, the haves will be able to download any piece of knowledge or information directly. The have-nots will be a at further disadvantage because they won't have these things, therefore making them less desirable in job markets. Um, and there's societal factors too, right? Like maybe if someone doesn't know as much or can't download as much information to their brain, then perhaps they will be looked down upon. 
and it will become like a a new form of prejudice and and um discrimination so like there's that to worry about as well um and then you also have to worry about like i hate to say it but fake news or like false information being downloaded into somebody's brain you know how like let's say you were going to download perfect form for squats or something for the gym right who uh has vetted that that process so that way you do the perfect form every time um is it from a reputable source like nih or um something like that where you know they they government backed they know their stuff like scientifically researched evidence-based you know all this stuff uh or is it just like you know joe rogan who says this is how i squat you know and it's like what kind of regulation comes with that stuff so i can see where there's a lot of problems coming up with this type of thing but it's exciting and something that we'll have to work through um yeah i think it is concerning a little bit that like if you think about that model of okay like it's toxic enough if you're not taking in on a daily basis like people you follow on social media or news stories you choose to read but now if you're having to worry about one what's the quality of the data that i'm about to put in my mind that could have you know physical implications or you know change your entire thought process or whatever it may be and it could be negative but it also makes me a little bit concerned that maybe now information because the kind of the beauty of the internet is that we have access to inter- information so readily whereas in this kind of model you may i could imagine that you if you're really trying to figure out if this is good information that people could be selling top tiered information or like top tiered schematics for how to do something uh automatically like learning kung fu for example uh, so now it's it's almost like information becomes a much more of a commodity than kind of just a I don't know like an open source thing if you will. Yeah, um, and and that all comes back to the whole um, the the haves versus the have-nots, right? The as folks who have the money and the means to buy things that, uh, like, let's say there's a premium workout package or whatever, or there's a premium. Um, business package or something to to uh like basically give you an instant uh mba like you know you you have a master's in business just like that because you've downloaded this package because you were rich enough to afford it um you know and you've done none of the thinking to get you there and so like what does that do like how do we still encourage like thought processes happening and and um you know, like, like let's let's apply it to our field, right? Someone downloads the Human Factors Practitioner Package. They've paid for it. Uh, they get it instantly like they've gone to school for it. Um, and, like, let's say you that they've packaged in kind of all this information, um, but they lack the experience. Like, they've gone to school for it. Um, and, like, let's say you that they've packaged in kind of all this information, um but they lack the experience, right? So then, then it's this conversation of, well, do we hire them because you know they're? It would be great for entry level jobs, right? Like you could pack those. But then I think higher level jobs, you'd have to basically have somebody that's done it a while and has the information paired with the experience. And you know, once you have experience, what's to stop you from basically? pooling all this experience from other people and putting it into your mind 
And then what is your mind anymore? Because you're basically living their memories in your head. And now I'm going down a like rabbit hole here, but you get where I'm going, right? I mean, that's where my head was going to go, right? Like if you, if you can buy the human factors package or whatever, I would assume that at some point maybe you can buy experience as well. So it's like it's a if you, if we thought that autonomous vehicles are letting a candidate for any job, or do you just create your own based off of your knowledge and your like paid for experience, right? And then. I mean, okay, so my, my mind is actually going in um in quite a different way now. So like think about think about entertainment aspects of these augmented human beings, right? Let's say I love Star Wars. This is hypothetically. Um and I want to be a character from Star Wars. So I'm gonna download all of Luke Skywalker's memories. I have memories of being on the farm with Aunt Peru and Uncle Owen. Um and, you know, maybe maybe I can I could do that. And it's like maybe that plays into a video game or something like if you're a role playing game. Now you truly are a role playing game because you've had all the experiences of that person and they load it up into your head uh, while you're playing and then basically data dump it when you're done. So all that you're left with is like a person and they load it up into your head uh, while you're playing and then basically data dump it when you're done. So all that you're left with is like like fragments of that memory, but like in the moment it's all it's I don't know, it's it's a weird possibility, right? Cuz like then it is what's you and what's what's the game or what's the what's the information that's coming in. Yeah. It's this weird line. Well, yeah, because it's like you I mean, it, just in one conversation, we've gone down two completely divergent paths of what you could turn a human being into. You could turn into somebody that's, you know, ultra, you could potentially become somebody that's ultra significantly smart, or you could change the path and just got to use it as an inter, for entertainment value. But they, then what's, what's really leaving a human behind or like what, what is, what is that person? Cause in, in the case of the entertainment aspect, right now you've become like a character from somebody else from somebody else's imagination and where your experience is in that. And then even on the, the ultra smart path, right? You're same thing, just in a different way. Now you've absorbed all this information and potentially you have experience from, you know, some of the greatest minds in any field, but who are you really? Or are you, or are you anything? Yeah, that's, it's such a, Okay, so so I see the danger, and I see why the U.S. military is warning about against these augmented human beings. And I think just as we approach it, we'll have to be careful about how we approach it and how we regulate it too, right? Like, do we allow any anything that's non-information? Like, I'm thinking we download Wikipedia to our brains, so that way we can reference any article. It updates with the internet, so like you know we receive updates over Wi-Fi or whatever. If something's updated, we can always reference that most up-to-date thing. Um, but like, you know, I, I, I don't then say, what are the effects of giving somebody, what are the effects of putting Blake's life story and his experience with human factors into Nick's brain? Um, that's where I think we, we, we need a little bit more exploration. Yeah. And it, it, I don't know. So I've, I watched this series recently on Amazon prime. Uh, where it kind of goes into the the thoughts of if you're a, if you're a UAV operator operating in a hostile area and you're making decisions from millions and millions or thousands and thousands of miles away and the impact it can have on that operator when they think about it too much 
or if if they just they don't feel like what they're doing is right or whatever it may be and like we've we kind of talk through like really what what's left to your to like Nick or Blake or I'll use me in this in this scenario what what would be left to my mind if like I had all this information that was downloaded into my head and basically my brain was being used to control you know different UAVs or something like that in the military downloaded into my head and basically my brain was being used to control you know different UAVs or something like that in the military like really what what does your brain become and I wonder do you still have kind of this the same experiences that you would from like a, a normal path of growing up as we know in hum, as humans now and the, would it ha, would you have any kind of still the same kind of empathy that maybe you feel if like you, you don't feel like something you're doing is right or whatever it may be so it, I feel like something like this even though in 30 years is this going to happen I don't think so but I think ultimately over time as it grows, kind of like how people speculate about general AI, um, it could just completely change what, what it really means to be human. I mean, like, what if you had something tragic happen in your childhood that you just don't want to remember or want to erase or want a different childhood because yours was, you were not fortunate enough to have a good childhood, right? Like, down the last news story right after this. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right. Well, thank you to all of our friends over at. Uh, uh, oh, geez, what are these sources? All right, we got we got the uh, futurism dot com, we got hackaday dot com, and we got defense dot gov for all of our news stories this week. If you want to follow along, we do post those articles all over our social media and on our Slack. You can join us there. We do post those as we find them, and it's a great place to comment and talk about it with other peers on the Human Factors Slack, Human Factors Cast Slack. There you go. All right, <laughs> we got uh, one more news story to talk about this week. All right, <laughs> we got uh, one more news story to talk about this week. Blake, what do we have up next? All right, so let's wrap it up with an ethical discussion. So within the framework of the national defense, didn't we just do an ethical discussion? Yeah, Sorry. yeah, we're about to do like our, another kind of deep one, I think. So, all right. So, within the framework of the National Defense Strategy, which supports the research and use of artificial intelligence as a warfighting tool. The defense's, Defense Department's AI strategy calls for the DOD to take the lead in developing ethical AI guidelines. In 2018, D DOD leadership tasked the Defense Innovation Board, or DIB, to propose a set of ethic principles for consideration. 
Since then, the DIB has conducted an extensive study that included numerous discussions with experts in the industry, academia, and the private sector. And the board has led multiple public listening sessions, interviewed more than 100 stakeholders, and held monthly meetings of an informal partner nations have also participated. The board has also conducted two practical exercises with leaders and subject matter experts from the DOD, the intelligence community, and academia. And board members met yesterday... Uh, in a public meeting at Georgetown University in Washington to discuss and vote on the recommended AI ethical principles. So I figured I would read some of these and then we can go back through them. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Let's go. All right. So these ethical principles received unanimous approval. So we got five of them. So first up is number one, responsible. So human beings should exercise the appropriate levels of judgment and remain responsible for the development, deployment, and use of and outcomes of DOD AI systems. So equitable is number two. So the DOD should take deliberate steps to avoid unintended bias in the development and deployment of combat or non-combat AI systems that would inadvertently cause harm to persons. So number three is traceable. D traceable. DOD's AI engineering discipline should be sufficiently advanced such that technical experts possess an appropriate understanding of the technology, develop processes and operational methods of its AI systems, including transparent and auditable methodologies, data sources, and design and procedure documentation. All right, so number four is reliable. So the DOD AI system should have an explicit, well-defined domain of use and safety and security and robustness of such systems should be tested and assured across their entire life cycle within that domain of use. And lastly, number five, governable. So DOD AI systems should be designed and engineered to fulfill their intended function while possessing the ability to detect and avoid unintended harm or disruption and for human or automated disengagement or deactivation of deployed systems that demonstrate automated disengagement or deactivation of deployed systems that demonstrate unintended escalatory or other behavior. Wow, man, these are pretty heavy for coming up with like ethical principles i mean the the word ethics kind of implies that yeah. um but there's a reason i only picked three stories this week yeah because so I, I wasn't expecting the last one to be so intense but this one this one's gonna be a doozy all right um i don't even know where to start with this one so let's just quickly recap so they've basically uh come up with these ethical guidelines for artificial intelligence systems in the dod um in terms of where human factors fits into this, it is all over the place. In fact, this story was actually featured on the most recent Human Factors and Ergonomics bulletin um, that just came out. I, I guess it was on the uh, it was five hours ago. Um, so yeah, they <laughs> this is Human Factors written. Um, so yeah, they <laughs> this is Human Factors written all over it. So. Um, yeah, I saw this after we posted it, and I was like, oh, hey, it's the same story. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, okay, let, let's go through these one more time. Responsible, equitable, traceable, reliable, and governable. I think we talk about these one-on-one, -on -one and then maybe talk about it holistically at the end. Let's do what it. Do yeah, think? I think that makes sense. Okay, so responsible. Um, I'm going to repeat a lot of what you just said, just so that way everyone's on the same page. It's an auditory format. Not everyone's looking at the same show notes that we are. 
Human beings should exercise appropriate levels of judgment and remain responsible for the development, deployment, and use of and outcomes of DoD AI systems. So there's a couple things there. Um, so they're basically saying in this bullet point that no matter what comes out of this artificial intelligence system, human beings are the ones developing it. They're the ones that are deploying it. Uh, they are the ones utilizing it, and they are the ones that are determining what the outcomes of these systems are. So no system, uh, no one can chalk it up to, oh, it was just the AI system being weird. No, humans are responsible for it. That's what I'm getting out of it. Blake, do you have any other, like, did you take away anything else from that? No, I mean, that's the general, the way that that reads to me is like, the hu if anything goes wrong, there's a human that we can point to. Yep. Uh <laughs> Which is kind of strange, and I don't know if I don't know who all these experts are, and I am definitely not an expert in AI. But I wonder how that even plays out if you think about like the the concept of generalized intelligence or generalized artificial intelligence, where it has a little more capacity to be making decisions. And when it comes to AI systems, I mean, doesn't I feel like what we a lot of what we've talked about over the past few years when it comes to find things that are, you know, uh, either unseen quickly to the human eye or are just like not available in our own kind of level of data that we can process. So I, I really wonder how that plays out over time. But regardless, I mean, these are supposed to be ethical principles that we tackle or we use in development initially. And I'm sure like generalized AI systems are way, way far away. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, as far as I, as far as I'm not an expert either, but as far as my understanding goes, um, we can tell a computer what to do, and I think the uh, issue right now is that with machine learning, we can say, um, you know, draw me a picture of a dog, and we feed it a data set, and it does some things that we're not sure what it's doing, and that's the scary part, right? But it comes up with a picture of a dog. So we are programming it to do those things. and We're programming it to come up with a picture of a dog. And it does it. We just don't know how. Um, you know, or we can say, find cancer. And we, you know, we get either a positive or a negative. We don't know how it's doing it, but it's doing it. I think what this is basically saying is, you know, make sure that outcome is... We're holding the human accountable for the outcome, right? If we say kill bad guys well there's a lot of ambiguity there right like what is a bad guy yeah what does um, that actually mean and then how do you define yeah. all of it that kind of stuff yeah you're right and it's not like it's not like we can say um you, you know we can we can say very, we can define very specific things like if you're in a scenario where there is you know a drone that's being controlled autonomously and it detects um a soldier under um, in a threatening environment where the drone could take out the target and save the uh, do so, but you'd have to very you'd have to like define you'd have to like make sure there's no way casualties could happen. Make sure the probability of uh, saving the human uh, the the soldier is maximized, and say that the um, probability of disabling over killing the enemy is. Uh, maximize you know so like there's all these different parameters and i feel like that's where it's going to get real tricky is like what parameters did you program into this thing well we're holding the human responsible for it yeah and ultimately like in the situation you're describing and it's probably wise to say no more but 
I, I think you ultimately have to deal with a trolley problem at that point. And, yeah. and it's nothing's going to be super black and white again. That's, that's what I feel like the reasoning behind number one is, is kind of making sure that people understand that there is still a human responsible and in the loop for all this stuff. Uh, but gosh, man, people are gonna have to deal with some sticky, how to help it make decisions in certain cases. Uh, especially when we're talking about, we're not just talking about AI systems. We're talking about DOD AI systems. And that can mean a, a lot of different things. Um, but that, that's like a special realm of how to, how do you value different people's lives and different systems lives and stuff like that. So it's, it's a tough one. Yeah. All right. Let's get into equitable. Um, so again, we're taking deliberate steps to avoid unintended bias, uh, in the development and deployment uh, of combat or non-combat AI systems that would inadvertently cause harm to persons. So I like that they're talking about both combat and non-combat AI systems here. I also like that um, we're taking steps to avoid unintended bias. Uh, so, And that's difficult to do because we've seen in multiple scenarios where AI has bias built in based on those who have programmed it we're taking steps to avoid unintended bias. Uh, so, and that's difficult to do because we've seen in multiple scenarios where AI has bias built in based on those who have programmed it. And how do you get around that? Well, I think you have many checks and standards that it has to go through before it can be approved. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great... It's a great thing to strive for. Um, I feel like I'm going to speak really dumbly for a moment here, but that's all right. I'm not worried about it. Uh, because th this could be maybe more focused on machine learning than it really is than you're really worried about with AI. But I, I, I feel like the only way to get around some of the un unintended bias is just making sure that whatever you're feeding it, it's like it's, you know, it's it's data diet is just full of stuff that you only want it to have and that there's nothing really convoluting it because I know it in some way where it's like a, a system that's like making, you know, judgment calls or decisions and it's got like a bad information diet um, or even like non-combat things. Like maybe it's like shipment resupply and stuff like that. And it gets the wrong type of data and it screws up all the shipment resupplies for, you know, DOD systems or whatever it may be. So I think having and really already knowing that like data is really a problem. We have to make sure that we're feeding this thing good stuff or else it's going to be super biased or we could end up with, you know, unintended consequences that we can't see at the outset is really great. Yeah. All right. Let's get into traceability here. Um, so it should be advanced that technical ex experts uh, possess an appropriate understanding of the technology uh, development processes and operational methods of its AI systems, including transparent and audible methodologies, data sources, and design procedure and documentation. So this is interesting because this kind of gets at that whole machine learning piece, data sources, and design procedure and documentation. So this is interesting because this kind of gets at that whole machine learning bit where it's like you tell it to do from point A to point B or point A to point C, and we don't know what point B is. Um, and this is basically saying, no, you need to know point B or at least somebody should. Um, 
Uh, at least that's how I'm reading it. Yeah. Do you have a different interpretation? No, I don't think so. I mean, number number one and number three really fall into the, like, cover your ass situations. Number three's got yeah. some extra stuff in it that I think is really cool, and I, I really hope to, like, read about some of the methodology that gets developed through this, this like, set of, I don't know, at, 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 like, the DIB and then the DOD arm that's kind of focused on this. Because I, I think development or documenting whatever the development or how you test these systems and how kind of like you put a scientific method to it to like, can I reliably get the same kind of information out of it? If I tweak the data information out of it, if I tweak the data in subtle ways and stuff like that, I feel like that has a lot of kind of great implications in terms of like how people can learn more about AI and how like people, like people in the human factors world for sure can start getting new ways of understanding like, okay, how do I put the human in the loop for this stuff? And what is that, what implications does that have both on the human and AI systems? So number three is really, really cool. Cause it's like the, it's definitely the engineering perspective because of the traceability, but I think it's going to ultimately add a lot of like tools to the toolkit for anybody that's interested in AI or understanding how it works. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get into number four here. Reliable. All systems should have an explicit, well-defined domain of use, and the safety, security, and robustness of such systems should be tested and assured across their entire life cycle within that domain of use. So this is kind of what we were talking about. Like, you have to have those very defined um, parameters, right? This was that example that I pulled up in the very first one here where you have um, a situation where there's a lot of different variables. You want to make sure it's going to make the right decision um, based on all those information and that that decision is uh, basically um, scalable or replicable over time. Absolutely. I mean, this, this again goes back to number two or my interpretation of, of number two of like, give it the right data or the right information. So it, that whatever decisions you're kind of implying in its programming, it it's going to at least be able to pick that kind of stuff up in the field or wherever it's operating or whatever it's doing or from like the things that are around it. I feel like number four is probably one of the harder problems. Cause this is like, I, I don't know think about the life cycle of any type of product, especially if it's digital, like now, I mean, there's so many iterations happen, patches come out and, you know, updates to systems, like even video games, right? Like, you know, you get constant updates with patches and fixes and different stuff like that. And so now, Not what on is, Stadia. well, yeah, <laughs> Sorry. well, not, technically they still do. Right. Because I mean, Bungie's going to update it's stuff. behind the scenes. Yeah. But you're still going to get scenes, like release so. notes from it and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, so there will be changes to it, and so how that how that happens in like an AI ecosystem, and like what how security and whatnot is going to be monitored in AI will be super hard. I mean, because a lot of people struggle with it in their day to day lives with cybersecurity within you know whatever company or application they're building. So I can imagine AI this would be a little bit even like trifold because now you've got a system that can kind of think of on its own or is supposed to be able to make a little bit of its own decisions so now how do you kind of employ safety metrics within it or like safety practices within it sure i almost want to sure i almost want to take a jump up um but let's get through governable first and then we'll take a jump up and, and remind me there's a point that i want to make here uh with existing technology let's talk about that so governable uh, so AI systems should be designed and engineered to fulfill their intended function while possessing the ability to detect and avoid unintended harm or disruption. 
um, and for human or automated disengagement or deactivation of deployed systems that demonstrate unintended escalatory or other behavior. So this is basically saying, you know, we want to make sure this is regulated, but we also want to make sure that in the event that it becomes unwieldy, we can still, like, pull it back and regulate it. That's how I'm reading this. Yeah, don't give me an Isaac Asimov situation where I have to, like, all of a sudden, like, throw a war against a robot race or something like that. Basically. All right, I'm going to take a jump up because for integration into DoD systems now, Microsoft is a company that uses um, artificial intelligence in their systems. That is that is not a, a mystery. You know, they they use AI as simple as, you know, um, did you mean this in their autocorrect for a Word document? I assume that that type of artificial intelligence is not going to be captured by this. However, let's use that as an example, right? Autocorrect in Microsoft Word. Does that meet all of these standards? Oh, likely. The one that I would... I wouldn't really know kind of how it fits is probably number one. I mean, you know who like ultimately put it together. Like it's a Microsoft product. So it, it's tied to some sort of human. Uh, but I, I guess in my head, it's like, because you bring one, I mean, you know who like ultimately put it together. Like it's a Microsoft product. So it, it's tied to some sort of human. Uh, but I, I guess in my head, it's like, because you bring up a good example of what happens with like low low level AI, does is that really following under all these ethics? And like, do I need to know the traceability of how this was created and how it gets from A to B? In that case, right. And the perhaps the more important question is: Does do existing systems and programs of record do those get grandfathered in, or do they have to meet these same ethics principles as well? To where uh, you know, like, let's say there's a program out there that does artificial intelligence for something, um, and it works well according to operators and and um, hasn't really had any problems. However, let's say, you know, there was a uh, there was a couple lines of code in there that we're not sure where they came from. You know, we're, we're just not sure. We don't have that traceability. Does then that whole program have to go? Okay, where did this come from? Like, what's the process for for vetting it, right? Like, that's that's probably a bad example, but like, I don't think so. I think I think that's a good example, right? Like, if you cannot physically understand and trace back, I mean, like this talks about like how where that code came from, like put it to a human, and, or understand how it is allowing you to get from point A to point B and whatever the system is. I mean, though that's kind of violating two of those things. And yeah, I, I would think that even existing systems should not get grandfathered in if they don't meet these like ethic principles. Right. Cause then that, to me, that leaves the door open to somehow get other types of things that are built in to like a, into an AI system that's governed by the DOD. And you have to worry about like how, how relaxed can you be on any of these? And I think in, to like a into an AI system that's governed by the DOD and you have to worry about like how how relaxed can you be on any of these and I think even though they're very high level I don't really think because of the implications they have you can relax very much on any of the principles especially for existing systems but much more so for what's to come see and now here's another distinction that I want to talk about too AI systems 
Does that include decision support? I would imagine so. But are we talking about AI systems in the sense where you get a final outcome from something? Yeah, and I think that's Automated. ultimately like a problem we have to deal with too is what is what is an AI system? Who's defined yeah. it and where? Yeah, I'm sure it's defined probably in there. It came from It came from all right, it came from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over. You know what? We, we can we say Reddit, but it's the community. We search all over it to bring you topics that you guys are talking about. Um, and you know what? We, we should just change the name of this thing. I think we said it last week to just Google it. So, okay. <laughs> just Google it. <laughs> right, we can get Shia to say it for us on a soundboard or something. Yeah, I think we got time for one of these, Blake. So I'm going to go ahead and take... Uh, you know what? We can do both of them, but we'll just leave the second one very short. Do it. Um, all right. So what this one is from the user experience subreddit uh, by user Sir Moosh. All right. What experiences and concerns do you have when it comes to using user data in a machine learning product? Wow, there's a theme today. There is a theme today. Absolutely. Um. That's it. That's all they wrote. Oh, really? That's that's the end of it. There's no like that's it. Oh, they nope. were scared of. That's too bad. Nope. What what do you think, Blake? What experiences and concerns do you have when it comes to user data in a machine learning product? Okay, so this, see above. Yeah, see above. Yeah, see above. <laughs> but I'm gonna so I'm gonna go back to. I didn't talk about this earlier, so I'll, I'll bring it up here. So I'm a little concerned about the. And I'm not, I'm not like scared of the service, but I'm scared of kind of the amount of information that I'm giving. So I use the Whoop band, so it's W H O O P, because I feel like I'm saying it weird, um, which is like tracking my fitness. But it's not only tracking my fitness; it's using machine learning across all of its users to develop trends based on age brackets, based on how you answer questions about your, you know, what your, how you slept the night before, how you feel after a workout. So it's starting to develop like a very, very intense because there's I don't know how many people use it, but it's got a giant user base that's only growing, and it kind of scares me like very, very intense because there's I don't know how many people use it, but it's got a giant user base that's only growing, and it kind of scares me like what how how could that information be used, right? Like, am I going to start all of a sudden in my Instagram feed or in on the internet start seeing you know things that are related to recovery of workouts or supplements that I should be using or is it going to could there is there a potential for my data to be used in a nefarious way to kind of influence products that I buy or workouts that I do and stuff like that I mean there there's this inherent thing that I get a little bit afraid of when I think about the fact that I'm I'm so and I think it's something that our generation is just used to, but I'm so willing to give out my information because of like the, the ease or the service that it provides me. So I, I ultimately just get, get concerned with where's it going to go from here? Because it, it, this might be a bad example, but it's kind of the only one that comes to mind what it was like or what people are using it for. But now that company has so much money that's trafficked all in just data that it collects. And there was even an instance today where I couldn't believe that Facebook was being used in a particular setting that I was in that was very business oriented, but they were using Facebook to communicate with each other about like where they were and stuff like that. So just the the vast implication that we're giving out so much information about location, about who we are as people, 
constantly to all sorts of services and how that information actually gets used. And we don't necessarily know how it's used. Like, I think a lot of, like, ad dollars that come from Facebook, I mean, that's a lot of just people's personal information that's been collected being kind of sold off to try and, you know, garner money and get more people engaged and things like that. So I, I don't know. I mean, Nick, you're, I value your perspective on this kind of stuff because you you really seem to have like, collected being kind of sold off to try and, you know, garner money and get more people engaged and things like that. So I, I don't know. I mean, Nick, you're, I value your perspective on this kind of stuff because you, you – really seem to have like jumped into the technology ecosystem from whether it's in your house to optimizing how you do things at work to how you, how you experience, you know, listening to podcasts to make sure you're getting the most information out of it. But is there anything that concerns you when you think about like the data you give or the information that's out there from like an ML perspective or anything like that? I think the thing that scares me the most is probably like and this is going to sound almost uh, a positive spin on this but I, I almost wonder like what will the effects be when I am so reliant on a machine learning product you didn't know you needed and it enhances your life in some way um, like like talk about your whoop right like what if based on your profile and others like you it does like just as a like thank you for using our product it sends you a supplement or something that you're like oh well if whoops sent it then you know that based on these attributes that we collected about you this would probably be relevant and it's free the first hit's always free right and then you're like oh yeah this is great and you can purchase it right from the app they already have your credit card info or whatever uh and it just comes and you take it and it makes you feel great and then they send you another one and you're like oh if you thought that made you feel great well what if you took that and this based on users of your profile we've noticed an x percentage increase in happiness in mood in work. it's free try it if you you know give you exactly enough to start seeing results and then go for you know then require the payment and so i fear that we get to a point where your life is improved so much by machine learning that if you were to try to wean off of it um, or if you were, if a company goes under or something like that, that the crash would be harder than sort of the, uh, the, the machine learning being in your life. And it is a trade off, right? It's a trade off of your information um, versus your well being, And, Companies want to make money. That is an absolute fact. But if it can be a symbiotic relationship where you are both feeling better and the company is making money, then, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I think the, the problem comes when it's end. The company is making money. And, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I think the, the problem comes when it's exploitation, right? Yeah, definitely. When it's like, when it's like, oh hey, <laughs> based on your profile, you would love to go to this casino. And trust us, <laughs> you would love to go to this casino. Yeah, because uh, you got a gambling problem, and we can make money off of you. 
um, and you would lose it all because you got a problem. Like that's where I see the most danger uh, is when it comes to exploitation. But as it pertains to like everyday life, I think once you start pulling it out, that's and it, it you like become reliant on it. That's that's where I see the biggest fear. Yeah, that's the, that's something I haven't even really considered. Right? It's like because there, there's. I, I don't know. I think in a lot of ways we're, we would already be so vulnerable if things like things were removed that we've come to end on, like just electricity in general, right? Trying to oh, survive yeah. on your own, it would be insane. But something like this that is, you know, in, in some ways it's intimately learning about you as a person and how to like optimize you as a human being so you can get through every day and stuff like that. And you're right. Like if if they were able to come up with like supplementation things and try it out in like in number of their users and say like, wow, this really has a massive impact, but it's, it's like you start to now depend on a service that you're paying for and their anal- analysis of your own data to improve your own life. And it, it's to get, not to get super existential on it, but almost remove some of the barriers that you have to go through to kind of figure out like what works for you or what makes your life kind of better or worse or whatever it may be. So yeah, I mean, ML has a like I think a large role to play in the years to come, and it, I think it can be both very powerful and. All right, I think this has got to be the most. Uh, the most deep discussion we've had on this show in a very long time. Absolutely. So I'm going to end it with one last question, Blake. Uh, from the UX subreddit posted by user air123321. Any good resources for people doing UX for healthcare? Oh, there absolutely is. There's an upcoming conference put on by HFES called the Healthcare Symposium. Is that just, that's is because it's HCS, right? Uh yeah, the Human Factors Healthcare Symposium. Yeah, there we go. So this All right. that's coming up this year in 2020, I believe. 2020. All right, well, that's going to be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news stories this week. Did you like our deep discussion? I liked our deep discussion. Um, you can join the discussion on our, on our Slack or follow us all over social media channels. I had a good segue, and then I lost it. <laughs> you can join us on, on our Slack or all over our social media channels at HFactors Podcast. Uh, be sure to write a segue, and then I lost it. <laughs> you can join us in this, on our Slack or all over our social media channels at HFactors Podcast. Uh, be sure to write us at show at humanfactorscast.com. We do read each and every one of those emails. If you like what you hear, want to support the show, consider leaving us a review on your podcast medium of choice, or you can support us on Patreon. We are not going to shy away from your money. Uh, and, of course, you can always reach us out at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. Mr. Blake Armstrong, thank you for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you? If they want to talk about butthole motherfucker cock dick fuck. There you go. You guys can always find me for all sorts of ridiculousness, like Nick said, at Don't Panic UX across social media. That one came out of nowhere. I'm really sorry for any parents listening with their kids. I'm doubly sorry if you're listening with your kids because you now why have would one. You, so you- why would you? No, well, no, not even that. Why would you expose them to human factors? Anyway. I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast.
spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202 The Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.